This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, what did the Tragically Hip do for Canadian music? A lot. Jake Gold, the manager of Tragically Hip, shares stories about the band you've never heard before and what fans can expect to see an upcoming documentary about the band and some vinyl stuff too, if you want to grab that. What is one thing you are doing to change your life right now? Share your secrets, your calls and texts here on the Shift. Plus, are you okay with Kit Kat? Is in the chocolate bars. All of that and more for you on the Shift Daily Podcast. Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. You can let us know if you are okay with these stories that we were just talking about. Andy's uh, giving away kale for Halloween. It's the most uncool adult thing ever. Um, are you okay with Kit Kat? That's sure. terrible. It's the best candy. It's the best candy bar. It's the best. Wow. The best. I will will stand by that claim that of all chocolate bars that exist on this fair, beautiful planet of ours, Kit Kat is the one that consistently just tastes the best. What is it about? I want to know. the crunch. Really? Okay. The crunch, the perfect ratio of chocolate to nougat. And uh, the portion as well. Like, it's nice, just a chunk. It You know, it's good. And it's always like a perfect size snack. It's not too much, not too little. And it's good in the small ones, good in the big ones. I, I will say, though, that Kit Kat Chunky is not that good. It's the, just yeah, the normal Kit Kat bar is uh, is something special. Oh, so there's well, like- I, I would... I'm going to meet you in the good in the close category, but to me, it's the coffee okay. crisp is the most consistent. That's what I was going to say. Of Very all of the ones. Well. Was it? Well, I was going to say, is the coffee crisp too much? Because it's essentially just a big, thick Kit Kat. It is a big Kit Kat. That's why it's awesome. But it's also good. I will stand by coffee crisp as well. We are blessed to have that in Canada. Why it's better, though. This is why it's better. It's better because, see, with the Kit Kat, if you bite it sideways, it just flakes away wafer style. But the coffee crisp, you can bite it sideways and kind of get that nougaty, bubbly stuff in the middle. And you can bite through it sideways and separate the layers because it's not Wait, so small. What would you say sideways? I'm really confused here. Do you mean like, like, like horizontally? <laughs> not end to end. Yeah, if you could fit that in your mouth, <laughs> sideways end to end. No, side. Like tip it over. Like roll tip it, it sideways, not turn it sideways. Oh, <laughs> it's like it's eating like, it like a sandwich. <laughs> Ryan's trying to imagine me trying to put the yeah. coffee crisp in my mouth widthwise. Oh. Wow, I was very That's confused. I just, I've never, th- I've never. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just that's uh, I couldn't comprehend what eating a chocolate bar sideways meant. Thank um, you for creating that lovely image. I got us. I'm yeah. with Andy. Previous segment there. I'm I'm all kale. No kid cat. All kale. Me. Yeah. Well, if you gave away cauliflower, that would be the richest of all the giveaways. Apparently, <sighs> it would be. Yeah. All right. Um, so with this, are you okay with back on, back on track with Kit Kat here? Um, what's inside of a Kit Kat? I mean, they're all small layers. You can't really tell, right? There's the wafer part, but what fills in the gaps in between? What's it made of? Well, there's a YouTuber goes by Zach D films, dug up the answer in a video that has now over 10 million views. And the answer might shock you. 
Have you ever wondered what's on the inside of a Kit Kat bar? Well, they claim it's just a crisp wafer, but what they actually use to make it might surprise you. You see, some Kit Kats get broken while they're being made, and instead of throwing them out, the company crushes them up and adds sugar, and that's what's on the inside of a Kit Kat bar. It's literally crushed up Kit Kats. That's a scam. Or is it recycling? Because it tastes good, so I don't... I don't think they should change it because Kit Kat, Kit Kat tastes really good. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised they don't market it as eco, the most eco-friendly candy bar. They are. Uh, you know what's funny is they did put out a video that people were kind of like, "Oh, is that uh, Kit Kat is going carbon neutral?" Which is really funny because good for you, Kit Kat. <laughs> uh, with their plastic wrap. Um, yeah. There is a text that comes from Catherine says, um, coffee crisp has to be in the freezer to eat it. In the Sorry. freezer? Mm. That's interesting. Kit Kat's oh, easy to share. Of that, actually. Yeah. Yeah, there's been a few. Okay, um, one comment on that YouTube video about the crushed up Kit Kat in Kit Kat highlights the confusing nature of the candy. There is a Kit Kat that is made from a Kit Kat that had a Kit Kat inside that was made of crushed up Kit Kats that had Kit Kats made in them by Kit Kat. So, you know when you see like a wall hall of mirrors? That's yeah. what's happening with the kid. <laughs> yeah, that's head. what's happening. The sentence hurt my head. Ow. Ow. But it's Ow. correct. Seven News Australia reached out to Nestle for confirmation on this shocking discovery. How do they get the caramel inside the Kit Kat bar? Hmm. It's weird. Nestle confectionery head of marketing Joyce Tan responded to this discussion. Yes, Kit Kat does theoretically contain parts of a Kit Kat. Theoretically. She told Seven Life. The delicious praline we use between the wafers is a Kit Kat. In a Kit Kat is, in fact, Kit Kat chocolate and wafer pieces mixed together with other ingredients, both scrumptious and eliminates the waste from any Kit Kat. We, I yeah, think you know. we said Kit Kat in this one story more times than I've said the word Ooh, Kit Kat. Can we do shots every years. time we say Kit Kat? Oh, this would be a good Halloween drinking party game. Very nice. <laughs> as long as uh, minor shots of kale smoothies. I'm oh, God. Like this is not fun. Day. Not fun guy over there. Um, all right, let's go uh, with this one. Are you okay with campaign ads? I'm assuming of the political nature. Yeah the political uh man you know sometimes they're good sometimes they get their point across and you're like yeah but i feel like campaign ads are weird because most people know who they're gonna vote for before those ads come out and uh they often just kind of seem like they just add to the whole environment that's very toxic and screamy and i'll never forget going to the states for the first time and seeing it was 2016 and like seeing the attack ads on both sides like democrat and republican I'm like what am i watching <laughs> is this a, like a sitcom it's aggressive. and that's i feel like yeah. what a lot of campaign ads yeah. are like is it it's like, it feels like you're watching a sitcom no they're garbage now there's no good campaign ads anymore no one ever talks yeah. about their own platform they just talk about no. how awful the other person is and then right at the end it says vote for change vote for me it's like yeah there's nobody there's no substance to them at all anymore they're just attack ads they're not even campaign ads it's just this other person is so awful they're gonna do terrible awful things vote for me it's the end of the world yep and so and by the way i'm running 
Oh, so what about attack ads, political ads, all of that stuff, especially the ones from the United States? Americans are heading to the polls for the midterm elections on November 8th, confusing to us Canadians, but they do it all the time. In fact, it, most people don't understand, and, and having a, a, a half American, he's an Amer or an Ican, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the perspective with Brendan Kelly. Um, but midterm elections, we often hear news cycle about the president, whoever's president right now, doing things. And you need to understand that usually that comes from the midterm elections. All of a sudden, out of the blue, the president will be like, all inflammatory about inflammatory things. And if you really dig into it, it's like, yeah, they're trying to win a midterm election. Yeah, well, they have such an absurd system of checks and balances, almost to the point where I think it's a little bit too much. Like, you know, the Senate, the Congress, the president, they all got to agree on things. So does the judicial branch half the time. And it's just like... It doesn't always work. No, it's like they even (laughs) get a majority and it's just still like you can filibuster. It's like, well, what's the nothing can get done. Everything can just get held up forever. Now, that being said, they do get to vote for the president, which we don't. And like we've seen in, you know, and even in Alberta recently, you just get a new premier and that's it. Yay. You vote for the party, man. Vote in the party. It doesn't matter if the new leader of the party changes the whole agenda So there are pieces of that that work better. Well, during this year's midterm election down in the States, 450, 435 seats in the House of Representatives and 35 of the 100 seats in the Senate will be contested. Now, if that was confusing to you, perfectly okay. Confusing to me, too. Needless to say, it's a lot of people are looking for new jobs. Politicians are going at each other's throats on television, and one ad in particular went viral for its prickly abrasive approach. It's from Republican Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana, who produced this very direct ad. Violent crime is surging in Louisiana. Woke leaders blame the police. I blame the criminals. A mom should not have to look over her shoulder when she's pumping gas. I voted against the early release of violent criminals, and I opposed defunding the police. Look, if you hate cops just because they're cops... The next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. I'm John Kennedy, and I approve this message. See, this is what I'm talking about right there. No substance. Although he does, he does have a pretty good point. I mean, the crackhead thing is not—it's a little stereotypical and not very nice. I guess, but he didn't give any statistics or anything. He's just—he's just using inflammatory language. Maybe crimes down. I don't know. Let's check the statistics. Exactly, exactly. And also, the way he says "violent crime," he says "violent crime." Can I hear the start of that like one more time? Violent crime is so his <laughs> voice like <laughs> so there you go. Sorry, not to be mean, it's just I thought it was funny. Well, I don't think you have to worry about it. He says call a crackhead at the end, right? You'll be all right. He does call a crackhead. Like Um Although, in all fairness, he has a pretty good point. Um if you want to get rid of the police, who's gonna, you know show up when things go really, really bad. I would just like to note that because I do support the police because I know an awful lot of police officers who work really, really hard to make stuff go away that we don't even know about that's going in the background. So just saying. Um that I don't I feel like I have to declare that I don't support <laughs> the call a crackhead part though. I mean yeah, good that's a premise yes uh, stereotype and insult, not all right. 
Anyway, it's worth noting that studies suggest that attack ads have no effect on voter turnout in the United States, but they must affect something because, you know, they, everybody does it, so the research must work somewhere. Okay, um, squeeze in one quickie. Um, pensions or dealerships, right? Which one? Oh, do the pensions. Pensions. Are you okay with... Uh, surprise. Pensions. <laughs> uh I think it's I think it's an amazing idea and a concept. It's just it's kind of you got to work a lot to make a lot of money to, you know, get you through retirement. And it's like yeah. it, it's just I don't I don't see the scenario right now. Hopefully things change. Hopefully things get better where a current setup for a pension is enough for our, the standard middle class person to retire and not have to work at a like mm-hmm. a reasonable age like it's just i don't see that but in concept it's great but in practice right now it's it just doesn't do the job i have i have seen some people's pensions and the continued earning is very very good with their pension they continue to earn a substantial portion of their salary for the rest of their life and then if they die and their spouse is still alive they can earn their pension for a long time. So the premise of a pension is very, very good. I think that it's a bit of a catch because people will stay in the jobs longer, even they might not like it, not productive, they hate it, whatever, because there's a pension at the end. So there's that, but it's good to retain staff. At the same time, though, you know, sometimes you get, by the way, you've worked your whole life and you're almost to the end and, oh, oops, downsizing. Now you don't get your pension. And so that would be really, really crappy, right? So, BK, what do you think? You like the money things? Yeah, I'd say in theory, I like the concept of pensions. Whether they will still be a thing by the time I reach retirement, ugh, that still remains to be seen. Right. Well, and I I mean, I pensions, you know, in lots of companies today, they offer RSP plans. They don't do a pension. So there's that. Former pr- British Prime Minister Liz Truss. Remember her? She's the tea lady. She will be entitled to some government funds despite being prime minister for 44 days. All it takes is to be prime minister. That's it. Just prime minister. That was the end of the thought. For She was there for 44 days. She's going to be able to claim expenses up to £115,000, $129,000 a year for the rest of her life. Now, that's claiming expenses. Not quite the same. In the words of King Charles after seeing Liz Truss again, dear, oh, dear. Your Majesty, lovely to see you again. Thank you, dear. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Dear, dear. Anyway, no. <laughs> dear, dear. Anyway. Dear, dear. Um, <laughs> Trust is entitled to receive payments under the Publicity Duty Costs Allowance, the PDCA, a government-regulated program introduced in 1990 to assist former prime ministers still active in public life. According to CNN, the allowance reimburses former prime ministers for office and secretarial costs arising from their public duties. The UK government website says payments are made only to meet the actual cost of continuing to fulfill public duties. So you got to go somewhere, you can expense it. Former leaders are also entitled to claim an allowance toward their staff pension costs, which is limited to 10%. So not a ton, but a couple thousand bucks a month. That can go towards the pension for 44 days of work and even calling it work for 44 days. In that case, she spent like seven of it planning for a funeral. Just saying. This is the shift podcast. We get to meet some cool people through the course of your career. 
And yes, that is the statement of a guy who's been on the radio and met some cool people, but that's not distinct to this. I mean, cool people are just cool people. Uh, see, now I just want to be sarcastic. I want to say, but this is not one of those people is what I want to say to Jake, but that's not the case, Jake. I think you are one of the cool people, but I wanted to make a joke. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, Shane. <laughs> well, no, it's funny you say that because, you know, really cool is for someone else to decide, not for anybody on their own. Because if, if you have to say you're cool, you're really not that cool. That's like giving yourself a nickname, man. You can't do that. Yeah. It's not up to you. Yeah. Right. Well, I kind of did because my real name's Jacob. So... Yeah, no, I, I, I kind of shortened it and said, you call me the shortened version, but fair enough. Yeah. I bought preference. It is your name and we can call you what you want. Jake Gold is uh, the gentleman that we are speaking to. And Jake publicly has been, you remember him. He was on Canadian Idol, one of the judge panel for so long when the show was on TV, six or seven years that that thing ran for. And But Jake, what you don't know is that in not the public view has been incredibly involved in music in general for so incredibly long, his entire career. Developing records, developing artists, inspiring artists, delivering the product day to day to day for artists that we know and love. And uh, and I've been lucky enough. We met long ago, and every few years our paths get to cross. And I'm lucky today to have you. So thank you for that. Well, thank, and thanks for having me. Well, you had there, there's a couple of reasons because you piqued my curiosity with the Rolling Stone article, and then I also just wanted to celebrate the fact that you got a Rolling Stone article. So there's a little bit of both there. I wanted to celebrate Jake and and the fact that the article was there and where it all landed, and then some of the stuff you were talking well, about because that's was, also interesting. Let's be clear, it was an article on the tragically hip, so that's important. It wasn't on me; it was on my client. Yeah. It was on my clients, um, which was very cool, you know. Uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, it was kind of funny because, um, they had, you know, I think they had done a review here and there over the years. And I think when Gord passed away, they had done a really, really nice obituary, but they never really did a feature on the band. And then, you know, lo and behold, I get some guy messaging us on Instagram, who's a writer who says, Hey, I want to do a story on the band for Rolling Stone. <laughs> and, That's amazing. Uh, and he came up to Ottawa and spent two days and interviewed all the guys separately. And, uh, um, what was cool is we, um, we, uh, you know, we're making a documentary that's going to come out in 2024 on Amazon prime. And uh, we actually shot all the interviews that he did because we're always looking for new information from the guy. So, you know, the, the director may ask them questions and we may not get the all the answers. And then all of a sudden someone else asks a question and then we get a good answer, you know. So mm. so we shoot everything these days. You know, I, I spent eight hours in the chair uh, about a month ago. So. Oh, really? Yeah. It, it, See, it and is, that's the thing is, you, yeah. you got to get it, right? I mean, you look at some of the artists from so long ago, and with the Tragically Hip, I mean, they were lucky because Gord was chronicling these stories and poems all the way along, right? Mm -hmm. Like he was doing it that yeah, way. Yeah. And then you look at some other international artists and whatever, and they might have had a photographer always or a videographer always with them. And that sort of foresight, as much as it was a natural way of being in Gord's case, it, it really gave the storyline and context of all the stories it starts to i mean to hear the one story from the song or the one lyric that that tells a story is one thing but when you get to see everything around it behind it 
other people sharing their perspective of that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those moments are so important. And to me, that's one of the gifts that Gord gave us. So to be able to hear that those moments continue, that that's going to be really exciting for Canadians and tragically hip fans. Yeah. I mean, um, I, we've, we've really unearthed some stuff that we didn't even know was out there, which has been really cool because the moment word gets out that you're doing something like this, um, all of a sudden you get, you know, Hey, I got this tape from 1987, you know, that from this club on VHS, it's like, wow, wow. You know, and, you know, um, and we have this like amazing, um, uh, uh, archival team that's um, running around finding stuff. And yeah. we actually found the original demo that I heard. And we've, we like, we had cassettes of it, but we found the guy who recorded it and he still had the master tape. Wow. Right? Of the original demo that was sent to me back in 1986. That's crazy. To so think. that's actually going to be delivered to my house tomorrow. You know, wow. Um, so it's like all this kind of stuff is is coming out, and it's and it's um, it's uh, uh, it's really cool because even for the guys, they're like, "Wow, I, I remember that." But wow, how did that person have that? Like photos, and like we're actually doing a thing at Queen's University this weekend. It's homecoming weekend, so we're doing a thing on Saturday. And it's like um, a nostalgia fair where the whole doc, all the doc people are going to be there and you can just show up with anything you have from the 80s and 90s of the hip in the early Kingston days. Really? Yeah. So we're doing this big fair for like people to show up and bring their stuff down and then we're going to scan it or take pictures of it or, you know, whatever. Some people may just give it to us, you know, Mm -hmm. because we're always looking for, for those kinds of things, you know, to make the doc better. Right. So, well, I think that, you know, to tell that story and to, to sort of get it into laps, I remember when I did radio at a Brockville. Oh yeah. Uh, so you were, you were right there. Like I was there and it was, yeah. I wasn't there for long, but I remember the shows and I think it was, I think it was actually, it was a Jim Cuddy show or a fifty four forty show or something like that. And we were at AJ's hangar and we were upstairs. Cause if I remember correctly, there was the upstairs area, right. Yeah. And they always kept that yeah. pretty private for those concerts. And, um, I was there and Dan Aykroyd was there and Gord Sinclair was there. Right. And, but it was, but it was just the moment that everybody was just like, it didn't matter that, you know, Dan was this super famous actor guy. These were just music fans that were watching a Canadian band in this historical place that everybody played. And everybody was just sitting around chatting and they would play the song and everybody would cheer or start the, you know, right. the first riff. And, and, and it was, so there must be so many moments of, cause the, the humanitarian part, the real life of these guys and their circle of people was taken everywhere around North America and around Canada. So I can't be the only guy that has a story of sitting there watching a show like that, you know, with Gord Sinclair and, 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 I don't even remember anything about it. That's what I remember. I remember being surrounded by music fans going, these people love music. I know this is a good moment. Well, in fact, I work with the pursuit of happiness and, um, and uh, uh, you know, Chris who plays in the pursuit, the guitar player, she lives in Kingston. So she knows the guys really well. And they're, they're, they're on tour with the Northern Pikes. They're doing a run of Ontario shows. We've done two and we're doing a bunch more this week. And um, 
and Kingston is on Thursday. And, uh, uh, and, um, you know, the guys in the hip are probably going to go to the show because they want to see the pursuit and the Northern Pikes and they know all those people and then they're friends and they want to see their friends play music and they want to hear music that they like. And, you know, so, and and everyone would love to have the band, the guys there, but, you know, like I reached out to Paul's wife because she's always the one that's sort of organizing for her and Paul. And I said, you know, we'll put you on the list. She goes, oh, well, we already bought tickets. Oh, like, wow. They weren't even looking to be on the guest list. Like they bought no. tickets because they were going to go to the show anyway. So that's kind yeah. of like, you know. But that's the thing. Like that's real life. That's the real life. Like date night even for another, you know, famous guitar player. Like this is the right. This is the magic of what what the tragically have created. So to be able to find some of these old stories, you can see how I don't know what you call it. The layers of the onion, the web that has been woven. Yeah. How deep this could possibly go. I mean, this this could go on for a well, long time. Know, discovering these things. There's a lot of information out there, but a lot of it is sort of just scratching the surface. Like you know, Gord St. Clair and Rob Baker basically were born across the street from each other so they've known each other their See, whole I, lives i didn't know that even yeah no. and and you know it was rob who came to gord's house who said i'm playing guitar you play bass even though gord was already playing bass and you have to know that gord st Clair's legal name is robert gordon st Clair, and because his buddy's name was robert he called himself gord unbeknownst to them that they would get right. another gourd in the bed. Another gourd. <laughs> so, <laughs> so those are oh, just man. weird little idiosyncratic stories that, you know, I mean, you know, the original lineup, there was a sax player, a guy named Davis Manning, who was uh, a much older guy, you know, and when I started working with the band in 86, um, it was like August 86. Paul had only joined four months earlier. But, wow. you know, we found that out after. Like when I saw the band, Paul was in the band, but he'd only been in the band four months. Right. Yeah, it's it's neat. Hey, perspective is so cool. And and then we step into the story of the Tragically Hip um, at different times in our lives. Right. So for me, I mean, I had always heard the Tragically Hip on the radio, and then I went to college, of course, and then I heard the Tragically Hip everywhere. Right. But it wasn't truly until I got to Sudbury, and I was DJing at a college thing, like you're describing, going on at Queens, and it was Poets. And I remember hearing... Well, that's 1998 already. That was 98. Yeah. That was 98. So, yeah. it, But it wasn't until Poets that I felt like it was mine. Right. Like I knew the music. I partied to the music. I, right. you know, had seen the shows and everything else. But it was that song, that sound that made it mine. So not only do we have, you know, when you look at a documentary about the band, do we have the, the timeline of the band chronologically, but everybody's insert into getting to know them. And then it became mine at a completely different era well, of my well, life when I realized this is mine. Well, and it's and it's very true. And I think that's what makes the that's what it's going to make the doc really cool is is. You know, you entered it at a stage when they were already six albums in, you know, like in terms of making it feel like it was yours, where there were people yep. that started on the EP or or up to here or Road Apples. And then, you know, and you had Fully Completely and Day for Night and Trouble at the Henhouse. And Phantom Power was when you got into it. Yeah. And that was when yeah. they had Bob Cajun on the record. And, you know, so yeah. everyone... 
you know, you hear this and it sounds kind of trite, but it's, you know, the way you're explaining it, it's very true. It's like people say, you know, it's the soundtrack of my life. Mm-hmm. And, and to a lot of people like, you know, by 2024, remember that's the 40th anniversary of the band. That's crazy. Right. So that's crazy to think. So, you know, when you're talking about 40 years um, and I started with them in 86, so it'll be, you know, I did 17 years. Then we split for 17 years. Then I came back in in 2020. So, um, but still I've known them, you know, by then it'll be, I've known them for a long time. Like I've known them now for, you know, over 35 years. Right. So that's so wild. 30, it's so wild. 37 years now. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's, and it's not even in order for me because then, you know, uh, Phantom Power album, and then I went backwards in time to Road Apple. So it it is interesting. That's what people do, right. Is, is, is you find something you love and then you go, what else do these guys have? And then you go Mm -hmm. backwards, which I did with the bands that I loved growing up, you know, like Mm -hmm. the bands I loved growing up. I discovered some of them three, four records in, and then I went deep. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes I listen to the earlier records more than I listen to the one that I got turned on to, you know? Absolutely. You know? Well, my daughter's probably the best example of that. I mean, her access to music with Queen and all these other bands, yeah. um, you know, they're discovering music differently today than you and I ever did because we always went to the record store, right? And yeah. we bought our records. And or then, friends. You know, or friends. Tapes. Friends, a lot yeah. of it was you'd go to a friend's house and they'd play you a record, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, I remember my, 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 old, my older cousin, he was one year older than me and he was like the music guy. So we yeah. would go to his house and, uh, I can say this now cause it's legal. And we used to like smoke hash and play records, yeah. right? At four. Well, hash, te- hash technically, I don't think is legal still there. No, Dave, no, but- they sell it. They, in, in Ontario, <laughs> okay. they sell it. Yeah. You can play in Ontario. <laughs> okay. Um, so it's legal where I am. I don't know about you, uh, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, I was 14, 15 and it was, was, it was illegal to be that age, but anyways, right. and we would, you know, listen to music. And, mm-hmm. and he turned me on to all kinds of bands that I had never heard of mm-hmm. before, you know? Um, and so he was always my music maven, my old, yeah. my older cousin, Brian, and he played guitar yeah. and, you know, he was like cool. He was the cool guy, you know? Yeah. See, that's awesome. And then we have technology fast forward to today where these kids, they can split their, their AirPods and both listen to the same thing side by side in the car or in class or whatever it is. So they right. although it is a different look on sitting down, listening to old records, like you described, you know, the ability for them to discover bands like this um, is very much there. When you're doing this new documentary, uh, what part is it? I mean, how does this land for you, Jake? You've been around this for a long time. You love everything that this band has done and accomplished. You are a big part of that. But at the same time, revealing pieces that, people don't know, keeping the legacy alive, uh, sharing more of the music. I mean, which part of it is your absolute favorite? When you look at the end of the day, maybe put your head down at the well, and you're like, this, this is where we really shared the good today. Well, you know, it's interesting you asked that question because um, apparently, because uh, while I'm the executive producer of the, of the doc, um, you know, I, I'm there to kind of put the deals together, right? Um, so, uh, but it's the director and the producer, they're creating the thing. And so, um, apparently we're in a rough edit of the first episode and some of us are going to see it soon. So it's really, 
I can't really tell you until I've mm. seen, you know, because Mike Downey, who's Gord's brother, who makes documentaries for a living, that's what he does. And and so we enlisted him to say, okay, you can direct this doc, you know. Um, and so we're going to see what Mike's come up with. Um, he's the guy to do that's it, awesome. but we got to find out if he, if, you know, what he's come up with. <laughs> um, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think, um, I think some of it is we're, 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 we're trying to be to, um, you know, from Mike's perspective to just pull back the curtain a bit, you know, cause the band overall, um, historically, um, there's really not, and I'm not talking about dirt. I'm just talking about the inner workings, you know, like a lot of people don't really know that stuff. They know the band, they know the music, but there was never a lot about the inner workings on how things got, got done and how things got made. And, you know, and, um, and it wasn't always perfect. Right. And so, mm -hmm. um, I think it's important that we don't just make, uh, because there's a lot of docs out there that really they're just promo pieces, and and we're not try, we're not trying to make a promo piece. We're trying to be honest and straightforward, and you know talk about real stuff. So, um, the legacy of of Gord Downey, though, I mean, um, yeah, I suppose you could take all kinds of different perspective on it. The reality is, is that you know maybe he was ahead of his time, but maybe he wasn't with the the Ch Cheney Wenjack conversation coming to where it is today. Um, you know, he was delightfully weird when it came to um, conversations, uh, but mostly because I've always assumed anyway that there was just so much depth going on inside his head, always uh, being present and, and documenting things and, and everything else. Like it wasn't, it was delightful. It was absolutely delightful. Right. But at the same, at the same time though, you know, he, he would really celebrate some of the activism because his poetry and the activism was such an important part of who he was in his expression. Mm -hmm. um, some, some of his, I don't know what you'd call them rants or not tirades. Cause they weren't angry. Um, his rants and stuff that he'd go on, on stage with music were, were quite beautiful. And yet here we are in a world of activism today, which he was either a ahead of his time or B the, the catalyst that got a lot of these conversations started. So what an exciting time to learn more about it. Yeah, well, you know, he's um he uh he was definitely, you know, people toss around that word genius a lot and you know, he was definitely one of those people that walked into a room and you knew the room changed. Mm -hmm. You know, and Absolutely. Uh, and uh and um but he was also um uh really wanted to be just the the regular guy um you know he would put sunglasses on and a hat and get on the streetcar in toronto because he just wanted to be able to ride the streetcar yeah. um and uh there's a really funny story um he lived across for a while there he lived across the street from a park and there was an outdoor hockey rink there. And because during the day he was around, the, the little kids would be playing shinny on the rink. And Gord was a goalie. So he would put his goalie gear on huh. with the mask and everything and trudge across the park to the rink and play goalie for the kids. But he, huh, but he really? would never take his mask off. And the parents would yell at him for like, 
you know, let my kids score. And it was like that kind of thing. And yeah, yeah. And he wrote a song and it's called the goalie who lives across the street. And because he was known as the goalie who lives across the street, <laughs> but no one ever knew that whole time that it was Gord Downey playing goalie with these kids. Can you imagine if someone hears that story right now and goes, no way well, that was right. me. Well, and that was probably 15 years ago. So now that kid is like probably 20 something. Right. right. And realized that he was playing shimmy with Gord. Yeah. But that's what he liked to do. He just wanted to be a regular guy all the time. You know, like, like he, he would meet somebody and say, hi, I'm Gord. And, and they would be like, like, I know who you are, but mm -hmm. he didn't want to assume any of that. Right. That's so cool. You know, and so also, you know, I think it's a Canadian thing too, right. To be, to be more humble and more, um, you know, well, he's taught us how to do it anyway. Well, uh, maybe it was know, a even, thing first. Even overall, you look at our biggest superstars in the world, like, you know, most of them you don't really hear much about, like, outside of their music, mm -hmm. right? You know, there's a little bit of it, but not much. It's right? true. You know, that's very true. You know, they just seem it's to just want to do their music, right? It's fascinating. I love this. It's so nice to just talk about it again, Jake. I think that this is the cool part for me is is to be able to talk about it again. So uh, a year well, and so, a bit. There's so much going on. I just want to mention, I don't know if you saw yeah. this, but, you know, on Friday we released, uh, it's just a little plug, but you should probably know is, uh, you know, Gord Downey and Bob Rock worked on a, um, a record for a long period of time. It was like over a 12, 15 year period. And and um it was mostly recorded um in terms of the vocals and everything else and then you know after gord died bob sort of put it on the shelf for a while but then he brought it back and finished it and so we released mm -hmm. the track on friday um mm -hmm. from that upcoming record it's going to come out you know the way you do things today is you put three or four out you put one out then you put three or four more and a little while later you put three or four more and you know by sometime in april or may we'll have the whole thing out you know, yeah. um, there's, there's 14 songs. So, um, yeah. but that came out, it's called Luster Parfait on Friday. So, um, and, uh, people seem to like it. Um, it's definitely more mm -hmm. gourd, you know, being rock and roll. It's got a stonesy yeah. feel to it. And, uh, you know, so we, uh, I always call it the Bob rock momentum. <laughs> you can hear the Bob rock momentum uh, <laughs> in it. Right. Oh, have you listened? Have you heard it? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. So you kind of hear that. You kind of it's always the there's that one stamp of things that you get is that that sort of that that that's the way I describe it. I don't know if that translates. Well, to no, but that's else, what but, that's what producers do. Like people work with yeah. producers because they want that thing that they do. You know, yeah, that um, thing. do that thing you do. <laughs> you know, because it was funny because when we were working with Don Smith for Road Apples and up to here, well, up to here and Road Apples, uh, people would call after. Like I remember. Um, I, I'm not sure it was 5440, maybe. I think uh, uh, Great Big C had called and said, hey, we were thinking about working with Don Smith. And then we worked with Steve Berlin from Los Lobos on Phantom Power and Music at Work. And I think there was a bunch of bands that called us after and said, hey, what was it like working with Steve Berlin? We're thinking about using him because they hear our records and they go, oh, that, those sound cool, you know. And it doesn't always work out. Sometimes you're like, oh, that guy worked with so and so, and then you hear, and then you make the record with them. It's like, oh, oh, that was weird. Not real, you know, not really me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, 
yeah, we thought it'd be better. Maybe it was us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe the problem's me after all. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The producer's uh, going to fix it all, right? So, all right. Let's recap it here real quick. So there is the the single is out, and and the album hopefully next year sometime after some songs have been released. The documentary, a couple years still. Twenty twenty four. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we just put out a fully completely vinyl. So, the, oh. you know, there was a box set that came out in 2014, but there wasn't an appetite for vinyl then. So we just put it out on CD. And uh, and now there's such an appetite for vinyl that we thought, well, let's put it out on vinyl. So we created the same. It's the exact same box that we added some Dolby Atmos mixes because that's a thing now um, to it on a separate, you know, um, DVD. Um, but it's basically the same box set that came out earlier except it's the vinyl version right um and then next year we're going to uh uh put out um your favorites which also was the greatest hits that never came out on vinyl it was only on cd so we're going to release that on vinyl um we're doing a phantom power box set which will be your record and that'll yep. come and that'll come um uh in uh um 2023 mm -hmm. all leading up wow. to the 40th anniversary year right. lots of work going on yeah this is so good yeah well it's actually i i didn't know all of that stuff was going on i mean i was just excited to celebrate um your work and rolling stone and and some new info about the tragically hip so this has been um this has been so much more, Jake, than I could ever imagine. So thank you for, for sharing this. And, you know, you've always got a friend here. So make sure that you let us know what's going on. We'll be happy yeah, to, yeah. to share what's yeah, going well, on. Well, right? maybe, maybe, maybe I should just have one of the guys talk to you instead of me, you know? Sure. I love <laughs> it. Well, I do like talking to you. How about you both? We'll do it. We'll okay, do both. Well, you know, um, yeah, we'll stay in touch, Shane. Thanks for having me. Uh, the article for everybody else is going to be up at shiftheads.ca and um and Jake Gold is uh is the guy. Really appreciate you, bud. Well, thanks for having me. This is the Shift Podcast. Good morning. Thank you for being a part of the Shift. I have a question for you. I need to know what you think about this. Our phone number is 877-399-9898. And if you make us a contact in your phone, it's even easier because you can one-touch text and dial us. You can call it in, too. Here's the question that I need your help with. What's your secret? Will you share with me one secret of one thing that you are working your butt off every day to make your life better, to change your life? One thing. I don't care what it is. I want to know. If it's I tie my shoes tighter because it's good for my lower back. I want to know that. If it's I'm smuggling diamonds into the country to make millions, I want to know that, but I'll keep your name anonymous. What is one thing? Please tell me your secret, will you? What's one thing you are doing to change your life? Now, we just heard with Handy Andy, that, you know, he's been freezing his kale and stuff like that. So I did ask Andy before we left uh, off with Handy Eddie, what's, what are you doing? What's one thing you're doing to change your life? He gave us two. One was he's exercising every morning, which sort of started, I think, with the pandemic with his skip rope. 
And the other part that's changed his life is growing his own food and how he's now freezing it for the winter. Makes a big difference. What is one thing you are doing? Share your secrets, will you? We're hoping to inspire other people to just pick one thing to change your life. Ryan O'Donnell. He's in Calgary. He's a content producer here on The Shift. And um, you've been working hard from the outside financially to prepare for some trips and some travel. You went and saw concert, um, Iron Maiden in Ottawa with your pops. You got a vacation coming up. So you got, you've really changed an awful lot of things. Um, am I, am I right in saying that the money adjustment has been the big one or is there something else? Um, well, it's difficult because I'm not seeing the rewards of the money thing yet. It's micro adjustments. I, I went to a record collector's uh, show this past weekend and I saw probably three or four records that I've been looking for for three or four years. Um, Metallica's Injustice for All, an original 1980s pressing, Blue Monday by New Order, which is incredibly difficult to find. Stuff that I love and really want in my collection and they were all there in front of me and the only record I left with was $10 and it was a mint copy of uh of soft cells debut <laughs> album and uh it was only 10 bucks and i did not buy those other records because i knew that the money that i would spend there could be spent while i'm trying to make these long lasting memories with my dad uh, on this upcoming trip to vegas and um you know saving money for future trips to go visit laura again and um i'm just trying to i think that if i could put it into one sentence, it would be being more patient with my spending. Um, because, uh, I definitely have often led into the, I need it now. I want it now. I'll buy it now. And, uh, I certainly still am weak to some, uh, some circumstances like that. But, uh, I left that record fair and I actually felt good not from the fact that I bought records, but because I didn't buy records that I only spent $10 on one fun record instead of 350 on a bunch of them, knowing that that money would manifest for me later down the line. And so um, trying to lean into that more and it, it is not easy. It is not easy right now, especially with the girlfriend on the other side of the country here. I'm, yeah. often, I'm getting pretty bored at home. So uh, right. it's been difficult, but baby steps. I get it. But you're doing something. So this is cool. What are you doing to change one little piece of your life? What's one thing? Share your secrets with us, will you? 877-399-9898. We'll get to BK, and I'll share mine in just a second. But our friend here on the shift, Alyssa B. Alyssa Bauman is our, one of our health and food experts, mindful eating, mindful food. And, in fact, Alyssa is going to be on with us later in the week this week to talk about some of that healthy eating that we always love going into Halloween, of course. What can we do to make Halloween a little healthier? But I did ask Alyssa in a conversation earlier today, what's one thing that we can do around food and all of that stuff? With her advice, it's nourished.ca, by the way, to change your lives. And this is what Alyssa B. had to say. When you become mindful of the things that you eat, you will start noticing a shift in the way you feel which yeah. makes you become mindful even more. So again, it, it's a practice and it, and it's cyclical because the more you eat well, the better you feel and the better you feel, 
the more you want to eat well because you want to continue feeling so good. So right. it, it really is like this circular um, shift in mentality, I guess. Actually, a shift in behavioral patterns that then leads to a shift in total mentality. Yeah, your decision making starts to change. That's the part that I've noticed. Mm-hmm. And it, it like, and with that comes the fact that you're like, you know what? I really want hot buttered popcorn and salt tonight, and I know I'm going to pay the price, mm-hmm. so I'm going to have an extra glass of water before I go to bed, and I'm going to have mm-hmm. um, an extra chunk of water before I, you know, when I get up in the morning. And but then at least you're doing it with the intention of knowing that I'm going to eat this, and it's going to make me feel kind of crappy, but I'm prepared for that, and it's not going to affect my day tomorrow. So let's change the word, change the clarity. That's what I always do. So let's take mine. If mindful escapes you, because maybe you don't feel like you understand that or it's not for you. And let's just go with intention and start the conversation mm-hmm. of food and intention. How do you feel about um, food diaries and looking at it that way? Because sometimes we aren't, we don't pay attention to what we put in our face holes. And sometimes we feel crappy, but we don't really remember what we did. And do you find that mm-hmm. tracking and some of the more logical approaches can help? It depends. Obviously, uh, we have tools for so many things. Um, I think a food journal is really a very good tool for the people who need that type of tool. Not everybody can use that type of tool. They get stressed about it. They get overwhelmed over it. They have to write down every little detail. But if you can keep a food journal and roughly keep and log, you know, what you eat, what time of day you eat, and then how you feel afterwards, I think that is the most, um, useful way of a log. I don't think it's useful to log calories and count um, servings. But if you if you say, okay, lunchtime, I had a salad with chia seeds and pumpkin seeds. I had some chicken on top. I was full. I had lots of energy until four o'clock. So if you can keep, if you can keep a food journal like that, that gives you some insight into how you're feeling and where your energy levels are, I think that's fantastic. Um, and if it's a tool that helps you, I think that's great. So let's say you get a four o'clock slump, then you can go back to your log and be like, huh, what did I eat for lunch? Oh, okay. I see what I did. I ate a big plate of pasta, didn't have any protein. And I see my sugar levels have crashed. And that's why I'm so exhausted, exhausted at four o'clock. So there are lots of use. This is a useful tool if you can use it in that way. I had but that- if you're using it to, to track your calories, yeah, I don't like um, I that. I think that just makes it way uh, more rigid and you're putting yourself in a box because you've already had this many calories and even if you're hungry, you can't have any more. So those types of things I think are really just um, systems that will set us up for disaster. Like well, they just don't work. They just make you feel worse. Alyssa B. right there, nourished.ca. We'll have more of that chat of mindful eating and it looks like we're on the same page with trucker dan he says one thing i have done for a very long time is i put my phone down when it's time to eat i put my phone down when i have friends near me and i put my phone down about an hour before i go to bed good advice i'm all with that except for the going to bed part i always have my phone close by i can tell you that when I did do my digital detox this summer, the no phone, boy, that had a big impact. Thanks for that, Trucker Dan. Catherine is in Surrey. Hi, Kat. Now i got to do two points. Uh-oh. Because <laughs> you're talking about chocolate. No, oh, man. Okay, I allow myself one day in the week where I can have anything I want that's sugary, chocolatey, or whatever. Yeah. And then I don't feel guilty, and I'm fine. Okay. Uh, but... What I've been trying to do is increase the humor. 
Oh, okay. Expose yourself to more humor. That's one thing that you're doing to change your life. Yeah, totally. So anybody that's doing it, I'm always like, yeah, yeehaw, hurrah, that's right? That's cool. Yeah, all yeah, awesome. I love it. That's great. I mean, I think that's a good example of surrounding yourself with people because, I mean, maybe it's cliche. You hear different philosophers and life coaches all say the things is you basically become the five people you spend the most time with. And if you're not spending, if you spend the most time with funny people, you're going to be far more present to enjoying the funny, which I think is cool. I appreciate well, that. Thanks, Kat. The material you get, too. Yeah. yeah, the good material. That comes in <laughs> yeah, handy. Yeah. A little bit of study. Thanks so much for the call, okay. Catherine. I appreciate it. 877-399-9898. What's one thing you're doing to change your life? Just share your secret with us, will you? One thing so we can pass it on. This comes from Dave in North Carolina. My one thing that I do that has changed my life is volunteer. 100 plus hours of my time every year, starting about six years ago. It just feels good giving of myself. Uh, thanks, Dave, for that. Appreciate that. And that's a great example. I, I like the number because that's, say, two hours a week, right? Volunteering. You get to choose to what organization that you volunteer. So, Dave in North Carolina, thank you for the text message. Michael Lossier is a friend of The Shift. He's author of the book, The Law of Attraction. And he helped us understand some different ways that we can uh, change our lives. He shared us how giving uh, ourselves small moments of affirmation starts to really add up and change our life. It's a way to tackle worrying and dismantling the control and the worry that we have in our lives. It's the second one. That's right. And you go to type an email that says, don't hesitate to contact me. It's like, Right, stops you right there. So yeah. what do I want? But you know what happens after a few days? You you start to think about going to say what you don't want, but you convert it before you say it out loud. Mm-hmm. To me, that's graduation. That I almost just that very moment I almost said, I don't want it to be difficult, but I said out loud, I want this to go easy today. So at first you'd hear the negative and have to correct it, and now you're doing it automatically. And before you know it, the balance of your vibration is on 51%. And that's so the balance of your thoughts would be more positive. You know, I'm not teaching people how to be more positive here. I'm teaching people how to be less negative. And as you remove the layers of negativity, your positive vibe surfaces. I'll say it again. You don't have to be more positive. You just have to be less negative. And the reason why we're negative is because we're attracting negative things. So you can reduce the negative things by reducing the don't nots and no's in your life or the worrying or the complaining by remembering, writing down, burning the sentence in your head, repeat it after me till you get it. So what do I want? And after the next couple of days, it'll be habit. And here's the motivation. Here's why you want to be positive. The speed at which you can attract anything you want is determined in how negative you are. Another way to say that, you can get stuff fast when you have a high vibe. You see, it's negative vibration that dilutes and slows down manifestation. The less negative vibration you have overall, the faster you can manifest. The speed at which you manifest anything is in direct proportion to how much doubt you have in receiving it or how much negative vibe. So that's the motivation. To summarize, 
I love it. Whenever, yeah. Whenever you catch yourself using the word don't, not, and no, or any sentence that causes you to focus on what you don't want, simply say, so what do I want? And the answer will reset your vibe. Michael Lossier has a bunch of books. The Law of Attraction book is really the big one that got him onto Oprah and all the things. He lives in Victoria. He's Canadian. And he's got a, a couple for you to look at. I want to acknowledge that, including a, some updates on the books, too. So make sure you check out those. The thing that Michael has taught me is exactly that. Well, what do you want? And that's the question that I always ask myself. That's the biggest thing that I do uh, in my life. I do that now a little bit more with some vision work. I create some vision work for me, but that's nothing more than really what do you want? So when I sit down and I do meditation and I try to do it every day, I create this vision around work. I create this vision around love. I create this vision around my kids and my home. And that is fundamentally, well, what do I want? And then I try in my vision on different things, like going to a shoe store with Ryan. If you go to a shoe store with Ryan, you are trying on a lot of pairs of shoes, a lot, to see if they work and if you like them. So what you do in your vision for me is I try on all kinds of different visions. Okay, well, I'm going to picture myself living on a beach walking on a beach, riding a bike, living in a mountain. Oh, that one feels good. Okay, well, what kind of house is it in now? Is it a big house? No, yeah, that doesn't feel right. Is it on a lake? That yeah, feels good. For me, when I do that vision, it's actually a smaller cabin-style place, and I always come back to a river or a creek. I mean, my own belief system says don't live on a river. <laughs> They're unpredictable. But for some reason, it comes to me that way. And that's directly from Michael's teaching of, well, what do you want? And so then I lean into that and I'm like, okay, well, what about the prairies? What about the foothills? Who, right? I think about Ottawa a lot. Love Ottawa. Do I want that? What does it feel? What starts to feel good? So that for me is one of my things that I do inside the vision work is what do I want? So check out Michael Lossier's books, by the way. Brett and Kelly, you are deeply philosophical with all these things. You like to set goals too, so you're logical and philosophical at the same time. What's one thing you're doing in your life right now? Well, I think I, I really started to do a lot of meditation about midsummer there. Uh, never had done it before, and it's good. It uh, allowed me to... Um, see patience where I poor normally would have destroyed or exploded my life and realize that, you know what, I may not be exactly where I want to be with everything. However, it takes time to change or I can change immediately and then give myself a whole lot of other kinds of stress that I, I don't need. So, you know, yeah. I learned patience when it came to a lot of things and that things yeah. do eventually change. They just take time. Well, it could be peace, too, could be a part of that. I'm speculating from the outside, right? So if, if part of patience is peace, then massive quick changes doesn't fit the integrity of peace, right? It just becomes, you know, you have to be patient because, you know, on the hierarchy, peace could be equally as high on the hierarchy for you, right? Peace in your life. And that is for me. Remember the time when I got asked here on the shift where someone said about anger and I talked about being frustrated and someone said, well, the way you talk to people, you're never angry. Well, I do get angry, and uh, but that's what it is. That's what do you want? Well, what do you want? Well, for me, it's just it's. I want to be empathetic. I want to. I don't have to agree with everybody, but I want to be peaceful and get the conversation moving. So that's what I want. 
So what is one thing you're doing? So we've talked about food, mindful eating. We've talked about healthy eating. Uh, we've talked about spending money with Ryan. We've talked about all those things. I have another one that I work hard on, similar to what Michael told us uh, there in regards to um, you know attracting things and everything else. 877-399-9898. About once a month, Trucker Kevin says, something I do is sit with my boys ages 16 and 19 and share some of my life experience stories in hopes to help them make positive decisions. Which is interesting. I like that because sometimes you have to tell the screw-ups. I mean, you could tell all the good things, but you got to tell the screw-ups. My son is talking about what he wants to do after school this year because he graduates. And he talks about a gap year, earning money, all those things. And I said to him, I said, you can go earn that money, but you're going to spend the money because you like new cars, you like these things, and you're going to end up exactly like I did, which is I went to Red Deer College. I did two years at Red Deer College. I did audio production for live theater the employment opportunities somewhat limited and i decided i wanted to do radio but i was djing in the meantime and i made a bunch of money djing so i went from being a student to making like seventy-five thousand dollars a year back then and that was in like 1995 and well what do you do when you have money like that coming in you buy a car and now there's a car payment and all those things i didn't save up the money and go buy a car no no my friends I took a car payment because that's what you did, right? So then I needed to go to radio school. Now I'm going to radio school, and I had to DJ five nights a week until 3 o'clock, God knows what, in the morning to be able to pay for the car and pay for the the place and everything else when I went to SAIT in Calgary. So uh, to your point, Trucker Kevin, like that's the kind of stories that that we share and it's the screw up i said to my son like trust me you're gonna have to deal with this because it's not gonna work out that way you're a human got a story from tina here too um actually i want to go back to that michael lozier clip the first one bk let's do that one because that's a good one too ryan grabbed another piece of our chat and it's going to go long here on us but i don't care this is a good conversation tina i'm going to get you yours what is your what is the thing that you're doing one thing in your life to make you uh, a better person to improve your life every day. 877-399-9898. We've talked a lot about attracting things in our lives. Uh, so here is what Michael Lossier shares from his book, um, internationally acclaimed, massive millions of copies selling book, The Law of Attraction. How does it work and what is the concept? See, Law of Attraction is energy around us. I can't prove it to anybody, but I can help you. I can help you manipulate it deliberately. And if you want to know what the vibe is, because law of attraction is responding to the vibe, you think, I don't have a vibe. Oh, yes, you do. A vibe is just a mood or a feeling. And right now, you either have a positive mood or a negative mood. There's not one in the middle. Mm -hmm. So when you have a mood or a feeling, so let's just say, for example, you're ticked off and you're angry and you're disappointed. When you're having those moods or feelings, even without doing it on purpose, you're sending a negative vibe. Mm -hmm. And on the opposite side, when you're feeling love and joy and bliss and appreciation and gratitude, just having those experiences, now you're sending a positive vibe. Here's my point. You cannot not send one. Right now, everybody has a mood or a feeling, which is a vibe. And here's law of attraction. It's in your office. It's in your car. It is everywhere. And it is the energy around you. And it has a two-word job description. How does this work? Here's the two-word job description. Match vibrations. 
hey, and if it had a voice, law of attraction, I know that you know that sometimes people wake up a business person Monday morning and they got a cancellation and say, oh, I hate when people cancel. And then they tell their friend, I had a cancellation last night. I hate when that happens. And now they're talking about cancellation. They're giving cancellations attention. And anything you talk about or think about causes you to send the vibe to that. Now you're sending the vibe of cancellation. Law of attraction is eavesdropping on the vibe that you're sending and you get another one. And you say, what is going on? This is the third cancellation today. You know the expression, you're on a roll. Oh, you're on a roll, all right. Mm -hmm. You're on a negative roll. But the same thing happens when maybe you got a new client. You say, tell your friend, listen, I get the best ideal contract today. And you brag about it. You went online. You told 10 friends. You posted it. And you bragged about it. Every time you celebrated that ideal client, you sent the vibration of an ideal client. And law of attraction doesn't know if that's something you want or something you don't want. It's not smart. It's obedient. I'll say that again. Any vibration that you're sending, whether it's the vibration, I want this or I don't want this, you're still giving it attention. And the universe or law of attraction doesn't know whether it's good or bad for you, whether you want it or don't want it, whether it's helpful or not helpful, it is obedient. So to make this short, if you're curious and you want to know what the vibration is that you're sending about any area of your life or business, go to that area and take a look and see what you're getting. It's a perfect match. You want to know the vibration you're sending about money? Open your wallet. You want to know the vibration you're sending about attracting business? Open your business file folders. You want to know the vibration that you're sending about attracting your ideal boyfriend or girlfriend? How's that working for you? You know, I didn't create the law. I'm just teaching it. Michael Lozier, Law of Attraction. Now, some people will say all the woo-woo and whatever with that, but the point of the matter is, is that you can be sitting at a table having a visit with your friends and someone walks in the room and you can feel that change. So you don't have to explain the woo-woo a part of it other than to say, I'm going to lean into the positive. So what's one thing that you're doing to change your life every day? Tina in Calgary sends this text message. Hi, Shane and Ryan, DJBK. You fellows have inspired me to try to become a better listener because you all excel at hearing people out. I find that difficult to do sometimes, but I'm making progress. Tina. It's good. Thank you, Tina. Wonderful. Um, what are you doing? One thing that you're working on every day to change your life, eating more broccoli, whatever it is, I want to hear it. I'll give you one tip, one thing to listen for. You see, one of my favorite things about words, if you listen to Shift all the time, you hear me talk about this, I'll drive you crazy. But if you're new here, is I always say, change your words, change your clarity, right? The smallest little words have the biggest impact on our lives, This is my laboratory to practice it. So when you change the words around you, the small ones, you change the outcome. And I'm going to give you one. You ready for this? If you want to know positivity in your life, drop the negative. That's what Michael said. I'm going to say it differently. If you want to find positivity in your life, drop the double negative. Please listen carefully when I tell you this. Well, you're not wrong. Double negative. Well, I don't disagree. How's your day today? Well, it's not cold out. You see, um, we could say 
How's your day today? It's warm. I like it. We could say, I agree with you. We could say, I kind of agree with you. We could say, you're correct. But we don't. We hide ourselves. We keep this away. We don't share this with people. We hide it. And so if you're going to take anything away from this, I invite you to try that on today. Avoid a double negative every time you say it. I don't hate it. You want spaghetti for supper? Well, I don't hate it. It's fun. Play with it. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.